Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, We are going to continue our series we started last week called Lost Art. And what this series is all about is we're looking at what we're calling Timeless Virtues. So these are character traits that used to be normal in our society, but have really become a lost art. They have become marginalized. They are looked down upon in some cases, some of these uh, virtues. And so what we're trying to do is recapture the importance of these virtues. Because what's happening as we're seeing them decline, we're seeing society follow suit. We're seeing a decline in society, uh, in interaction with people, and decorum in, in, every, in every facet of life because these virtues that not that long ago were just commonplace are not so common. Uh, we're seeing a, de- a decay and decline in society. So we're trying to reverse that trend. So today is unique in that we're going to actually finish last week's message this week. I had so much to talk about last week. We split it into two. And so last week we talked about this idea of honor. The first timeless virtue that we are in desperate need of in our culture and our world today is is honor. And so we're going to pick up uh, from where we left off last week. Uh, And the reason that we're talking about this idea of honor is because we're trying to build an honor culture in a world that is full of cancel culture. That's a phrase that you're probably very familiar with. And we'll talk about some, some, how that looks a little bit today as we get into more of the personal aspect of this idea of honor. So cancel culture is a problem. I mean, it's, it's just, there's really very, very, very little positive to it. And whatever positive there is is always twisted into a negative. And so we're trying to reverse that trend by highlighting what it looks like to have an honor culture instead of cancel culture. And I want to start out with the scripture that we started out with last week in Mark chapter 6, where actually Jesus uh, was canceled. He was shown dishonor by his own hometown people. His own town where he's from canceled him, kicked him out, dishonored him. So let's start there, and then we will continue our discussion on honor today. So Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family, and because of their unbelief, He couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So Jesus was canceled by his own hometown. He was kicked out. They were offended. Not that he did anything offensive. That's what cancel culture is. Someone is offended. They can't really place their finger on what it was that offended them. They they definitely can't place a finger on what is overtly offensive about what someone said or did, even if it was recently or even years ago, but they're so offended that they're going to cancel you. 
for whatever that thing was, whatever that belief is, whatever that view is, doesn't matter. You're canceled. This happened to Jesus. So we're going to look at how we can reverse that and create an honor culture instead of cancel culture. So last week we talked about honoring parents and honoring leaders and what that looked like and why it was important. If you missed it, you can watch that or listen to that later on. But today we're going to talk about part two of this. So last week we got a little political, talking about leaders and leadership and government and authorities. So last week was political, and this week it's going to get personal. All right, we're going from political to personal. So if you were offended last week, just hang on. Here we go. You can cancel me later. No. So uh, here's the, the, in the whole grand scheme of this two parts thing here, the third uh, relational area in which we are to show honor, or the first one today, and that is to simply honor one another. There's quite a bit of scripture on this, but I want to look at one passage in particular that we're going to dissect for a few minutes as we look at uh, honoring one another. This is Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 3 and then verses 9 and 10 to kind of get a full picture of what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12. So Romans 12, verse 3, Paul writes, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Then down to verse 9, he says, Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So the context here of Romans 12 is it is a letter written to a church, written to Christians. And the immediate context of Romans 12 is obviously Christians loving other Christians. And that's one way that Jesus said, it's really the way that he told his disciples, how other people outside of this movement will know that you really love me and follow me is how you love each other. So that's kind of the first thing that we're going to look at here for a little bit. In verse 10, he even says, take delight in honoring one another. And uh, in a different translation, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. So as much as we want to make putt-putt a competition next week, right? We should make honor a competition. I'm going to out-honor you, right? I'm going to out-honor you, right? And so if we, I think if we thought of life in that way and human interaction in that way, we'd have a lot less cancel culture. I'm not going to try to cancel you for being, I'm not going to try to out-offend you, right? Or be out-offended by everybody. I'm going to try instead to out-honor you, to show honor as as much as I can, as often as I can. But how many of you know that this doesn't always happen? This this honor culture is difficult, even in in the church, right? Because Christians don't always get everything right. Hello, right? Anybody else can relate to that? Uh, Christians don't always get along. Churches don't always see things eye to eye. And it's so easy when we don't see things the same way or don't view certain issues the same way to really look down Uh, upon people instead of trying to honor them anyway. So we do need honor culture within the church, right? As Christians, you may have a certain belief on a certain topic that another Christian may not have, and that there may be all kinds of different topics where we can all disagree, and we have to determine what we, what, what kind of the phrase that I like to use, is it a salvation issue? That's a big one. Now, even that can be a little murky. Well, I think it is, and they don't think it is, and they're they're just trying to excuse their behavior or whatever. Okay, we can try to get on it. But again, if our heart is honoring people, 
We're going to be less likely to judge every single view someone else has or every, every single thing someone else does. We're going to try to sort of look past some of those things, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. So in Romans 12, he's kind of echoing that here. We want to love each other and honor them in this way. Even churches who do things differently. As a church, we don't want to look down upon how they do that. And I would say, in fact, we're probably on the receiving end of some of that more than we are on the giving end of a lot of that. Because people who might even come here to check us out or they may know kind of how we do things are like, hmm, we don't do things that way at our church, you know. We, we have a high church tradition. And I'm like, well, we're about as low as you can go, brother, <laughs> you know. I've never worn a suit in this church a day in my life, okay? So, yeah, we, we, we don't operate with a liturgy like some churches do. Again, that's great. Like some, some of that church culture I think is awesome. That's just not this specific church's church culture, and that's okay. And so we don't want to look down upon or whatever, and we, if it happens to us, we just say, hey, we honor you. We, with the way that you do church, I'm sure, is great. Uh, that's just not how we do it, and, that, and that's okay. That's all right. Um, so we, we want to build that honor culture within the body of Christ, within this body with one another, and then between the different uh, local churches that are in the community. And also, I think, though, I want to expand this a little bit to want the one another thing for a few minutes here. We also want to build this honor culture in our other interpersonal relationships. I mean, this is where, like, every day we have an opportunity to build this kind of culture with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, all those types of people. And this also is not easy, right? Uh, because sometimes, you know, people are annoying. It's hard to honor that annoying neighbor. Um, it's, sometimes they're nosy. A coworker's always trying to get in your personal business, and you're like, we're not that kind of friend, okay? We are, work, we are workplace proximity associates, okay? We're not even acquaintances. We're, we're, we just work together, okay? We happen to work at the same company. It's just get out of my stuff. Sometimes people are rude or are mean, right? Uh, sometimes they're even hostile, especially when it gets to, like, personal issues, political views, social issues. It's just so easy to be like, oh, I'm offended because you don't agree with me on every single issue in life. It's like, mm, really? But we, we, we can do that as well if we're not careful. People can be hostile, argumentative, that sort of thing, but that doesn't show a culture of honor. Our goal should always be a culture of honor. So the question is, we're going to go back to Romans 12 and work through it for a minute here. What does that actually look like, showing honor to people, even, that we, even when we disagree with them or they disagree with us, or when we don't approve of certain things that they would do, or they disapprove of how we live our life, or, or whatever? How do we do that, and what does that look like? And so what I think Paul does here in Romans 12 that is so genius is in, in these, even these three verses that we looked at and skipping around in Romans 12, he gives us sort of what I would call the, the three ingredients of honor. And this will help us to maybe understand what honor really is on a practical level and how we can live that out. So let's look, for that, look, look at this for just a couple minutes. So the three ingredients of honor are simply this, humility, grace, and love. If you combine these three things in a bowl and put them in the oven at 350 for 45 minutes, you have honor, all right? Humility, grace, and love are the ingredients that Paul says, I believe in Romans 12, that make up honor. Let's look at humility first for a second. So he starts out, uh, the first verse we read, he says, don't think that you're better than you really are. He says, be honest in your own personal assessment. That's humility. Because sometimes, what, here's what cancel culture does. It, it exacerbates a problem by making two problems. 
The first problem is, I look down upon someone else because of their view or their stance or a statement that they made or an email that they sent or even a tone in which they said something one time eight years ago, okay? So it's, that's, that's bad enough. But the other problem with this is we also inflate our own view of ourselves at the same time. So I'm looking down at somebody else while elevating myself, and I've created this huge distance between me and this other person relationally. That's not accurate. Because they're probably not as bad as I think they are because of this one thing that I didn't like. And I'm definitely not as good as I think I am because I think I'm better than they are. So I make two problems instead of just the one when we inflate this view of ourselves. But humility says, humility and through honor says, I'm not better than anyone. Humility says, this is a tough one. Humility says, I'm not perfect. That hurt right here. That hurt me, right? Just to even use it as an example in a sermon for me to say those words, hurt. I'm not perfect. Oh, there it was again, right? <laughs> Humility says, hey, I have blind spots. I have weaknesses. I have hang-ups. I have issues. Humility says, I'm going to focus on working on me instead of trying to work on them. Now, I will say, when it comes to one another in Christian love, Yes, we want to support one another and do life together, and iron does sharpen iron, and we can help one another, but going from that to dishonor, that's a really tricky balance that we have to learn. I don't want to baby them like they don't even know what they're doing. Oh, I'll help you, you know, you're a baby Christian, you're just figuring things out, you're so cute. Like, I don't want to treat them like that, right? I wanted that, but we can tend to come off as condescending if we're not careful, we, if, but again, if our, if our mindset is, I'm going to honor them, if they're looking for help or they're needing support, I will be there to give that to them. But I'm not here to say, let me help you just do everything because you can't do it yourself. Or you're not growing fast enough in your spiritual walk for my liking, so I'm going to help try to accelerate the pace for you. So we have to find that balance. And I think trying to, to seek this honor culture is helpful. So humility, the first part of honor, says I'm going to focus on working on me and not judging someone else. The second part of honor, of this, this second ingredient, is grace. So later on in Romans 12, he says, have genuine affection for one another. Grace is very genuine. Okay? Grace is a thing that I, if I have to give it, I, I may not want to give. Grace, really the definition of that is, I'm not really under any obligation to give grace. Okay? It's extra it's more than what is deserved or more than what is expected. So it's, it's genuine, it's, it's real, and it's powerful. So again, humility says, I'm not perfect, but grace says, they're not perfect. Whoever that person is, that neighbor, family member, that coworker, whoever it is, right? They're not perfect. Grace says that and understands that, and it leads to this culture of honor. And this is really the hard part that our, our cancel culture mentality has a hard time getting through, that they're not perfect either, and that's okay, right? Because what happens in cancel culture, one wrong word, canceled, right? One wrong look, canceled. One old post on social media, I go back and dig through it, I was offended by that seven years ago, I'm still offended, canceled, right? One political view that we find disagreement on, they're canceled, because they don't agree with me, and I have perfect views, right? So I cancel them. One mistake, one decision that they make that you don't necessarily 100% agree with, canceled. That's our go-to emotion, that's, and that's what our culture is ingraining more and more and more into us. 
this offensive way of living that is not full of grace that leads to cancellation instead of honor. So what if instead of canceling, we show grace and by that show honor? What if we try to give people the benefit of the doubt? It's a big one. But, and we talked about last week, that's kind of what empathy is. If I can try to see what they're thinking, maybe why that happened, why they think that, why they said that, the heart behind it, that can be really helpful. What if we actually ask honest questions of others to clarify their positions? It's called a conversation, right? What happens is we do a cancellation before a conversation, and that causes all sorts of problems. So what if instead we hold off on the delete button of people in our lives and whatever because of the view they have or a statement they make or a thought they thought, right? Uh, and instead we have a conversation with them to try to figure out certain things. And maybe in this dialogue we can actually learn something. Maybe, just maybe, I've been so ingrained in my personal view on this thing that the more I talk to somebody on a different side of this issue, the more I'm like, hmm, maybe, that, maybe I'm a little too far on this issue. Now, not every issue is that way, but certain issues, may, there might be room to, to grow and change our perspective, and that's not always a bad thing. I know we, we sometimes feel that it is, but it's, it's not. And what if, here's a big one for cancel culture, what if we just become okay with the fact that not everyone has the same view on everything all the time? So we have this mob mentality about cancel culture, and we wonder why we're at odds with each other. It's because, well, we're, we're polarizing ourselves because this view that I have is so perfect and it's infallible and unquestionable, and because these people don't have that, they're just dead to me, right? That's what this culture does. So extending grace is, is a huge deal with showing honor. And here's the other part of grace. Grace is a boomerang. So the importance of showing grace and extending it is because at some point we're going to want it ourselves or need it ourselves. And if we've built that culture of grace and honor in our lives as a default, not that we get it right every time, that's the whole point. We're going to need that grace at some point. But if I never extend it to anyone ever for any reason, should I ever expect it to boomerang back toward me? No. Now, grace is funny because sometimes it will work that way. I don't deserve it. It's more than I need or expect or whatever. But sometimes it happens and it hits me in the face. But that's the idea is we sh it should be sort of this reciprocal sort of back and forth type of thing that we see in our culture. This idea of showing grace and showing honor through grace. And I think that's what Jesus means when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, notice this. He's not just saying, love your neighbor. He's saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I love me some me. Okay? I love me some me. And so if I can love my neighbor like I love me some me, I will show them grace more often. Okay? If I can think about how I would feel if I were in their position, I may extend grace to them more easily, more often. And that starts building this culture of honor. That's, I think that's, again, it's not just love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that includes grace and showing honor. It does come full circle. So humility, grace, the third part of honor here in, loving, or in honoring one another is love. What Paul says here at the end of Romans 12, it's verse 10, he says, don't just pretend to love, but really love others. So when we can learn to love others despite our differences, that shows 
honor to them. It builds this honor culture. When we can learn to love others despite mistakes that people make, instead of canceling them, that shows and builds honor. When we can learn to love others for who they are more than just what they do, that builds an honor culture. Love is a huge part of building this culture of honor. So it's this beautiful combination of humility, grace, and love that helps us to learn what honoring others really looks like. What honoring others really looks like. So that's the, that's the, for today, the first, but for our whole overarching theme of honor, the third relational area in which we can show honor. Hopefully we know a bit how to do that. But here's the fourth one that we're going to end on. You might think maybe we should have started with this one, but we're going to end on it, and you'll see why before we're done. We've talked about, you know, parents. We've talked about each other. We've talked about leaders and honoring them and how and why to do that. But it's also important that we understand how and why to honor God. How and why to honor God. Again, this is a big one that we haven't, we haven't covered yet. We haven't, we haven't talked about yet. So we're going to end with this one, and we'll see how this also will come full circle today. So obviously, as followers of Jesus, we should desire to honor God. I want to honor him. That sounds like a thing that I should do. Maybe I don't know what that is exactly. I don't know how to define that, but it sounds like something that I should probably do. If I want to follow him, I should honor him in the process. So how do we honor God? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible gives us at least four main ways or parts of our lives in which we can honor God. So that's how we're going to finish uh, today by looking at how to honor God are these four areas that Scripture tells us in which we honor God. The first one is with our stuff. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. So when it comes to giving to God, this is not out of obligation, but out of honor, right? And I picked Proverbs 3.9 on purpose, because Proverbs is not part of the law. This is not a rule that, that says, you must do this, you must follow this command. No, Proverbs are not laws or commands. They are wise sayings. It is God advice. If you do this, this is the best course of action you can take in this area of your life. This is the smartest thing you can do is follow this advice. This is the the best, wisest, most amazing decision that will have the best possible outcome if you follow this wise saying. So, again, Proverbs 3.9, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part. So while it's not a command, right, Proverbs, again, not a command, it is in line with the other biblical commands as far as generosity, with our stuff, with our wealth, our money, our possessions, all that sort of thing. We honor God with how we use that and how we give that. So honoring God with our stuff is important. And there's two things I want to say about this, and then I'll I'll move on. So Honoring God in this way with what I'm going to call our stuff, our money, wealth, possessions, is first, should be done out of a heart of gratitude. And the more the heart of gratitude we have, the more generous we will become with our stuff. Because the heart of gratitude understands everything is God's. Everything. It may have my name on the bank account, but it's not mine. I'm not the owner, right? So the Bible talks about us being stewards, that means we are, he, he is the owner, but he's placed us in charge of stuff. So even this planet, even though we 
run the planet, right? We are not owners of the planet. I'm not owners of anything that I own. I'm simply a steward of this. God is allowing me to possess these things, this money, this wealth, these possessions. So when I have this idea of gratitude, it means, okay, so when God says I get to keep 90% of what's his, that's a pretty good trade-off. To me, that's a good deal, right? I get to keep 90% of what belongs to God. I think that's a a good, that's a good, it's a good trade-off. So it's done in a heart of gratitude. We return that portion back to the actual original owner. That's what biblical giving and biblical gratitude is, and it honors the Lord with our wealth. So it's done with a heart of gratitude, but secondly, honoring God with our stuff is also an act of faith. How do I know this? Because I can do simple math. Giving to God is an act of faith. Tithing, the biblical idea here of tithing, giving 10% of our wealth to God to honor him, is an act of faith. Because, last time I checked, 90 is less than 100. Right? So 100% of the stuff that I have is more than if I give God 10 and I have 90 left over. But there's also something that I, we've, I know Kim and I, can, we could tell stories and stories and stories and stories and stories about this, right? This thing called God math right? It just, it's not real math because it doesn't work. The numbers do not add up. If we told you the last, well, since we've lived here, like the last eight years of our life, and you look at our level of income at any given moment and how God's provided for any number of things that come up, you would say, there's no way that's possible. And I would say, thank you. I told you that's God math. God can do more with my 90% that he allows me to keep, right? than if I keep all of it for myself, I'm just, I'm just, you, if you want to try it out, this is the only thing in the whole Bible where God will let you test him, is with your stuff. Malachi 3, God says, test me in this, in giving the tithe and even offering above that, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you can't even begin to contain. We've lived that out, time after time after time, year after year after year, even before we moved here. Things that just happened financially that just don't make any sense. What, what's the common theme? We honor God with our wealth. We honor God with, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, even though, you know, I am. But that's not the point. I'm just saying if, if we can do this, anybody can do this. And if God will provide for us with the numbers that he has to work with, with our God math problem here, he can work with whatever situation you've got. So I would just, leave, I'm going to leave it there at that because I know that this is a personal issue and this is the first of two personal issues. But we honor God first with our stuff. The second thing that we honor God with, the second way we can honor God, is with ourselves. So our stuff and ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul writes, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, if you reverse it back to 1 Corinthians 6, the beginning of that, the immediate context here is in terms of human sexuality right? He's giving up these rules, again, that our current culture is like, mm, nope, let's throw those out the window. Uh, but anyway, despite that, God says, well, I made the body. I made this thing to function a certain way. So that's, that, I'm sorry you don't like the rules, but if we're going to play this game, you have no other choice because you're alive and you're human. That's the rule. So even, again, we thought that our stuff was really personal. When we get to ourselves, that's even more personal. So even the issue of like this human sexuality thing, God's saying, honor him with your body, And so we see that even in this most intimate part of our lives, we want to honor him with that. One husband, one wife for life. That's kind of the rule. That's the way, that's the lane in which we are to go in this issue. 
But there's a second part to that. Again, I'll broaden this out a little bit more, and that's, that's this. Now, I like junk food just like everybody else, right? If you could hook me up to an IV of Coca-Cola Classic, I'm set for life, brother. You know, it's just, it's just but here's the deal. It also, the, with ourselves, it includes how we deal with our bodies every day of our lives. So, again, I'm not saying you have to eat like my wife does, you know, because she, you know, eats like good things for her body. You can eat like me, and it's okay. Uh, I'm also not saying you have to be at the gym 23 hours a day to have the perfect physique. Okay, that's not what we're saying. However, just like God owns everything, he also owns this thing. You know, as terrible as that is to imagine. Uh, he, I don't know, he hasn't traded it in for an upgrade yet for some reason. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's why I try to pump some iron once in a while, try to kind of sort of lay off the, you know, the Coca-Cola once in a while. It's because even this thing, Paul says, is not my own. Your body is not yours, right? And I could, there's a lot of, so many things that are going through my head right now that I'm not going to say, but uh, it's not your body. So anyway, honor God with your body. That's all I'm going to say. I would get really in trouble. I would get canceled so fast. So how do we honor God? With our stuff, with ourselves, and the third way we honor God is through our lives. Our stuff, ourselves, and our life. Romans 14, verse 8. If we live... It's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So here's what that verse is telling me. My goal in life as a follower of Jesus is not happiness, but honor. Okay? My goal in life. Now, if I'm not a follower of Jesus, my goal in life is happiness. Right? Hedonism, do whatever feels good, do whatever brings the most pleasure, do whatever makes the most money, whatever. Look out for me first. However, my goal in life as a follower of Jesus is not my happiness, but honor, honor to God. So if, if you would resonate with that statement, that honor hopefully is or you want it to be or it should be, you recognize that, the goal of your life, let's ask these questions about ourselves. These are good questions to, to ask ourselves. How can my life bring honor to God? in general. Let's get more specific. How can this day, today, bring honor to God? Okay? How can maybe a decision that you're wrestling with, part of the equation in that is, how does this bring the most honor to God? Now, again, if you're thinking, should I wear the blue shirt or the green shirt? You know, I don't think God gets dishonored from a certain color. Uh, But you understand what I'm saying. Whatever decisions that we make, how can I honor God most with this decision? How can I, as an employee, honor God this week? How can I as an employer honor God this week? How can I as a parent honor God in my interaction with my kids? How can I as a friend or a neighbor honor God in that relationship? How can I as a member of this community honor God? It's these little things that happen every day that add up over time to big things. It's these little decisions that we make that we don't think much about, but in the end, it really does build this culture of honor. As we think about how our life, every day, decisions, choices, things that we say, things that we do, how they honor God. So I want my life now to honor God so that I will be honored in the next life. That's part of where that equation comes in. So it's not now, I don't do those things with that mindset, okay, God, you owe me in heaven because I'm doing this thing. Okay, that's a, that's a bad motive. But it's still true, right? As we honor God, he will honor us. So it's not just with our stuff, but that's true. 
but it's also with our life, with our, how we live this life, we'll be honored in the one that is to come. So here's the fourth one, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here this morning. The fourth way that we honor God is through love. So our stuff, our self, our life, and our love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. John writes, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Strong language. You're canceled, John. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So we're coming full circle again. Remember, we started with loving one another. How do we honor God? By loving one another. How do we honor him? By honoring God. Want to know. That's why this is so important. And I, I mentioned this phrase last week as we left off the cliffhanger. So here it comes in play again. A life that honors others honors God. As I learn to view my life this way, honoring others, it brings honor to God. So the little decisions that I make and interactions with people at work or in the neighborhood or in my home, those things that bring honor to them bring honor to God automatically. It's a double thing here. It works for both of these. That's why, again, the two greatest commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your stuff, yourself, your life, and your love, and your neighbor as yourself, honoring them. That's why these go together. This is a common theme. And here's why. We're all made in God's image. And so as we love others who are made in his image, we honor the one who made them in his image. As we love them, we love God. And that's why, again, going back to, to Jesus in Matthew 25, he has this idea at, at the final judgment, basically, you know, the follower, faithful followers are on the right-hand side. I'll do it for you guys, on the right-hand side. And then the, the unfaithful are on the left side. And what does he say is a distinction, right? Because he tells the people on the right, he says, hey, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I needed help, you helped me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And the people on the other side did not. And what they, they're confused when he says this. They're like, no, 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 that's, that, we didn't do that. When did we ever serve you or visit you or feed you? And he says, when you did it to the least of these other ones, you did it to me. It's the same principle. As we love others, we love God. As we honor others, we honor God. As we serve others, we serve God. So our goal should be to honor others in order to honor God. Even when we disagree with them, Despite our differences, despite if they're having an off day or we're having an off day, even when they mess up, even when we're not really, even when they're not that honorable, which is something I'll talk about for just a second here. So you think, well, they don't deserve me to be honorable to them because they're not honorable. I said it last week, let me say it again. What if, what if my difference in approach to someone otherwise not honorable changes them to become more honorable? What if instead of opposing them and with the same force that they oppose me, what if I showed them some grace? What if I showed myself some humility? What if I honored them in love? Maybe that would soften their heart a little bit. Maybe it would change the way that they act or speak or behave, right? So what if we tried to build this culture of honor instead of this cancel culture? What if a different approach changed everything? That's what it's going to take right? That's all we're saying. It's, again, these little things, these daily interactions, these daily decisions. If we change our approach to them with this, then this lens, this view of honor, it helps to create and build this culture of honor that then spreads like wildfire, because that's way more appealing to people than cancel culture. It really is. It's way more effective than cancel culture, this culture of honor. Our goal should be a life of honor, because a life that honors others honors God.
What a good, I mean, timeless virtue that is so timely and so needed today, this idea of this culture of honor. 